Blog Talk Radio. Tonight on Dr. Anonymous Show 179, my guest coming up will be fourth-year medical student and Twitter personality. That's right. We'll be talking about that. We'll call him Dr. Jonathan during the course of the show. You may remember him from show 175. Look it up. Not now, but after the show. Where he called in to talk to uh, talk to me or talk to us about uh, being a part of a group who saved a life on Twitter. I'm not kidding. We'll get into that as well. He's also the host of the Dr. Jonathan Show on uh, Ustream.tv. We'll talk about that as well, which I think will be coming back next week. We'll get into that. And finally, he took the latest edition of his board exam yesterday, so he's happy to be anywhere today. <laughs> so can't wait to talk about that. And a lot more coming up on the Dr. Anonymous show starting right now. Right, welcome to the show that is passionate about medicine and social media. This is the Dr. Anonymous show live on a Thursday night here on Blog Talk Radio. My name is Mike Savilla and I am Dr. Anonymous. You can find out more information about me by just typing Dr. Anonymous in your favorite search engine. I should be the top link over there. You can also go to dranonymous.com which brings you the most current show schedule. And uh, one week from tonight will be the huge, enormous three-year anniversary of this show. That's probably when I'll be canceled, so you'll have to tune in for that. Also some blog posts and also some recent TV interviews, including the one yesterday. I won't, uh, <laughs> I won't bore you with the details. Just go to DrAnonymous.com later. And check that out. You can also go to DrAnonymous.net. Shout out to all 100, excuse me, all 200, 253 people who like the show, who are fans of the show. However, Facebook does that now. Also, some exclusive behind-the-scenes video of me doing this show. You can also go to DrAnonymous.org. That brings you to the iTunes page where you can subscribe to the show, leave a comment, and... uh, you know, do whatever you like out there. And you can also listen in real time on your iPhone, BlackBerry, Palm Pre, Droid, whatever mobile device that you have. Just uh, direct your mobile browser to DrAnonymous.com. So, I'm sorry, to blogtalkradio.com slash DrAnonymous. Today is Thursday, August 19th, 2010. It is 9 p.m., Eastern Time, and it is still 84 degrees Fahrenheit here at Dr. Anonymous 
World Headquarters. Coming up uh, in a little bit will be our guest, Dr. Jonathan on Twitter. He is a fourth-year medical student, and on his Twitter page over there, he also calls himself a media enthusiast, host of Dr. Jonathan Live, National Certified Counselor, Jim Brookman and J.R.B. Pianist, vocalist, actor, and also a notary public, so we'll be talking about that. So, uh, so I'm very excited about this, uh, so uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for featuring the show again here, again this evening on the front page. For those of you who are new to the show, welcome. I've been a, a social media hobbyist since 2005. And if you're curious, yes, I am a real doctor. I'm a family physician in full-time private practice here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. And if you're listening live, you can see my smiling face here in the webcam here this evening. Uh, You can also uh, enter our chat room. And for those of you in the chat room right now, if you want to see me on the webcam, just go to the top of the chat room, click on the webcam icon, and you'll see me doing the show right before your very eyes. So before we go to the break, I do want to uh, give a big shout-out to the people in our uh, chat room there. So we have a few guests. I uh, encourage the guests to uh, register here at Blog Talk Radio. You'll be able to chat here in the chat room and make fun of me and Dr. Jonathan during the course of the show. It is the show within the show. Also our good friend J-Man, MD Student 31, Ramona, Starcrossed. Now I know how to say that. Also, Survivor Stephanie in our chat room here uh, as well. Welcome to everybody. Good crowd here uh, this evening. And I will take my break here. You're listening to the Dr. Anonymous Show, a member of the Family Medicine Education Consortium. I'll be presenting there in October in Hershey, Pennsylvania. You can get there by going to fmec.net. And also a, a member of the Better Health Network at GetBetterHealth.com. And also a member of the ProMed Network of Podcasts. You can get there by going to ProMedNetwork.com. And we'll be right back with Dr. Jonathan. Don't go anywhere. Hit it! Na, 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 Yes, that's right. We're curing that rash one day at a time. This is the Dr. Anonymous show on Thursday night. On the line we have with us right now, the one, the only, the myth, the legend, Dr. Jonathan. Welcome to the show there, my friend. Hey there, Dr. Anonymous. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. 
so my first question for you here is, uh, you know, you finished boards yesterday, and uh, which is a grueling process. We'll make into that uh, a little bit during the course of the show. But how do you feel? Did you survive? Are you still <laughs> breathing? Because uh, all of Twitter is uh, worried about you. Yes, I, I, I know. And I, I do appreciate so much all the uh, concern that everybody showed for me when I was uh, taking boards, and especially all the good wishes and prayers and everything else that people sent out for me yesterday when I actually took the exam. Uh, it, it went very well. It went better than I thought it would. Uh, it still was a very difficult test, which I expected, and they also uh, revamped the test um, early this year, so it's uh, become a lot harder and a much lower pass rate. Uh, so um, it was uh, very much a difficult exam, but I, I think I did, I did well, and I'm glad that it's over with, and I walked out with all my limbs intact and uh, still breathing, as far as I can tell. So uh, it's just a great pleasure to be back in the Twitter world and uh, to be tweeting again because I had to take a little uh, reduction in my uh, tweet volume in the past few weeks when I was uh, studying uh, some pretty long hours for this exam. But it's so great to be back, and it's great to be done. And uh, I was looking forward to your show throughout the entire process. (laughs) Because <laughs> I knew that would mark the end, Dr. Anonymous. So uh, it's just, just great to be here. And I, uh, I want to. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to wish all the. Uh, uh, I know there's a lot of medical students who follow me, and I wanted to wish everybody very uh, good luck with uh, their boards. If they haven't already taken them, many people are taking them in the next few weeks, whether they're taking the USMLE or if they're taking the Comlex exam, um, either step one, two, or three. Good luck to everybody. and. Um, I promise you'll come out alive, and uh, I promise the studying does eventually end for the board. So uh, good luck to everybody. Uh, well, I know even in our chat room right now, our good friend, MD Student 31 he says he's taken step two in uh, four days. So he's very jealous of you right now. And uh, <laughs> uh, I know this, uh, this show has been the distraction for a lot of uh, people who are trying to study no matter what uh, field they're in. So I uh, want to thank everybody for listening to the show since this is a distraction from studying, but if people fail, it is not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it was worth it, right? If they if they do fail, it was worth it because your show is a lot more entertaining than studying for boards. I can assure you of that. Um, uh, and I know, be, I know we'll, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about your show in a little bit, uh, but I know great. that uh, our good friend uh, uh, Potato Chip. Uh, I think I saw a uh, well wishes there. I think it was was she the one that wrote the good luck uh, in the sand wherever she was. Yes. At she was on vacation, actually, uh, down in, in Georgia, I believe, and she wrote. Uh, she was on a beach, and she wrote "Good luck uh, with boards, Jonathan, in the sand," and uh, tweeted out the photo. Um, and I just thought that was amazing. That was my favorite uh, well wish, and I got many well wishes, but that was absolutely my favorite. Uh, so I'd like to thank my uh, favorite co-host, uh, Potato Chip, um, for doing that. Uh, and I also got a lot of other really great well wishes from people. So it, it felt like a whole worldwide effort for me to do well on the board. So that was really quite amazing. Well, I, I hope it pays off. <laughs> uh, well, I, I know there's a lot of uh, – we have a, probably a crowded chat room with all of your fans in here. So this is, uh, oh. this is already good. So. Yeah, I'm excited. Hi, everybody. Welcome. It's, uh, thank you all for coming. Uh, and I'm a big fan of the Dr. Anonymous show, so it's a big, uh, quite a pleasure to be on. Great, great. Uh, well, let's let's kind of go backwards here. Let's kind of uh, go back. Sure. So, uh, 
Um, so, and I, th- I think you've talked about it before that uh, um, I, I guess uh, going to medical school uh, wasn't your first uh, career uh, choice, or uh, not first career choice, but if your first move, this is kind of a second career, I would presume. Looking at your Twitter feed there, uh, how, how did you uh, how did you come to to apply to medical school? What what drew you to uh, medicine as a field uh, to work in in the first place? Oh well, that's a good question. It's actually a very uh, it's uh, quite uh, Long story, but to give you the Dr. Anonymous show version, um, I've always wanted to be a doctor. It was the first thing I've ever wa- I ever wanted to do, and really the only thing I knew that I would ever do primarily. Uh, so it's really the only thing I've ever really set focus on. So I was really lucky in knowing that from a very young age. One of my first memories, actually, was wanting to do that. Um, and so I was very lucky not having to go through uh, a lot of the um, process that many people go through and struggle through to see that they really are being called to medicine. And it really was uh, the complicated health problems of, uh, that I saw others experience as a, as a child that really drew me into the field and uh, a whole host of other reasons as well. Um, but I knew it was always what I wanted to do and people thought that was a little um, unique because I also have quite a background in, in musical theater and music and, and piano and uh, dramatic theater. And uh, that actually was my primary activity uh, as a child all the way through college. That was primarily what I did was uh, theater and music and piano and things of that sort. And uh, I, but I knew that I just, wanted to go into medicine and really thought that that would help add a dynamic. And and as I say to all people who are interested in medicine or pursuing it, there's really no reason to not explore your other interests. It'll just make you a better physician Um, because patients, as you know, Dr. Anonymous, they they like their doctors to be people. And that really um, helps you to gain perspective. Um, the, and then the question then becomes, well, what kind of doctor did I want to be? And the first doctor I ever wanted to be was an ER doctor. And primarily because I thought that, I thought that, that was really fun and that was where the action was. And uh, that was really um, where medicine was practiced. Primarily, it was emergency medicine and treating people and then uh, letting them go home and, and live out the rest of their lives happily. And I, that was when I was maybe in childhood early on. And then I kind of thought that uh, psychiatry was very interesting because I got very interested in how people work and how they think and what makes us tick. And I was actually a psychology major in college at the University of Rochester uh, in upstate New York. And I really loved it. And I really, really enjoyed psychology. And, I w- and it was also one of my strengths. You know, you should major in, when people ask me what to major in, I always say you can major in two things. Um, you should major in what you're good at and what you really enjoy. Uh, that should be what determines what you major in. And so I, I was a psychology major. And during the summers, I was privileged to work in a psychiatry uh, program at a local hospital, at a very, um, at a research hospital I was privileged to work in. Uh, the uh, psychiatry program, and I got to work directly under the residency director of that psychiatry program, a fantastic psychiatrist. Uh, And I really came to understand, um, at least at the level that I could have when I was an an, an undergraduate, 
uh, the experience that psychiatrists get in terms of um, doing what I was interested in, which was psychotherapy. Uh, I wasn't so much interested in the medical aspect of it. And at least at this particular program I was at, they, it didn't seem to emphasize psychotherapy. And I do want to point out that there are many programs in the, in the country that do emphasize psychotherapy, but it's turning more towards uh, psychiatrists as um, more towards the medical model rather than the, psych, uh, than the psychotherapy model. And the psychotherapy model is switching more to clinical psychologists and counselors. And so I figured, you know what, I really want to be a great, I really want to get my feet wet into clinical psychology and uh, psychotherapy. And so I, and I thought, you know, and it'll, no matter what field of medicine I choose to go into, even if I don't choose psychiatry anymore, it'll make me a much better doctor to have those skills. And so then after uh, undergrad, I um, continued uh, in the, uh, at the Warner School at the University of Rochester uh, uh, studying uh, counseling, mental health counseling. And uh, I did that because I knew it would be a quick two-year program that uh, I could then immediately apply to medical school. So um, I graduated uh, with a master's in counseling. And to tell you the truth, I've never actually worked as a counselor because it was always the, um, the idea that I would go directly to medical school. So I literally went from uh, counseling grad school graduation to medical school orientation <laughs> within, the, within the same month. So I never actually practiced, um, uh, for money at least. I, of course, practiced in all the internships that were required to do. But so then um, – then in medical school, I kind of learned that I really was attracted to family medicine. Uh, I really loved the relationship with patients that family doctors get, and I loved. I also loved the fact that family doctors do a lot of counseling with their patients, whether anything from uh, psychological counseling to weight loss counseling to health management counseling. They they do all those things, and so I really learned probably early in my first year of medical school that, that was what I wanted to go into uh, for sure, and so. That's kind of where I am today. I'm in the process now that I'm post boards of just applying to uh, residencies, and uh, I'll be entering the interviewing season quite shortly, which I'm looking forward to greatly because I really enjoy uh, getting to know other family doctors from around the country, like you, Doctor Anonymous. So, it, uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, well, hey, you know, it's true. So um, that's kind so of what was what there got me a, uh, was there a, a certain I guess a certain aspect or a certain clientele that you were, you know, that kind of drew your interest would, would it just be like general mental illness or would it be substance abuse? Would it be like family therapy, relationship type of therapy? I'm just kind of curious or was it just kind of. Yeah, sure. Um, I actually, in, in, in grad school, I actually, uh, they encourage you to, there's a lot of types of therapy you can do. uh, And there's a lot of types of uh, counseling that happens. And there's a lot of stereotypes out there as well. But I was really drawn towards what's called uh, person-centered therapy or Rogerian therapy because it was um, it was founded by Carl Rogers, one of the best clinical psychologists of all time. And really, what this therapy is is it's a um, person-centered therapy, client-centered, where um, you provide uh, the client with an alternative look of their of themselves. And this is therapy that I really fell in love with because when I was doing my training in grad school, I worked with a lot of college students, undergraduates, who were at the point of their life where they were trying to figure out who they were and what they were going to do with the rest of their lives. And I really, that's a point that I really, I really enjoy working with, with uh, college students and young people uh, who are 
exploring and, and founding their identity. Um, and through doing that, I actually started getting into relationship counseling. And I started doing couples counseling as well. And I found that I really enjoyed that, the dynamic between uh, the uh, two individuals who are in a relationship and also seeing how well they do in therapy. Uh, it really, really uh, made me enjoy it. So if, if basically if I were to become, if, if being a doctor did not exist and I had to do something else, I, I would probably choose clinical psychology and I, I, I would probably do a lot of couples counseling and also what I call um, interpersonal therapy um, that really uh, gets to the heart of the human condition. And it's really fascinating. People are fascinating. No matter how unfascinating you might think they are at first glance, if you meet somebody and think that they're not really an interesting person, there's so many layers that you uncover in therapy, and that's really what just – that's what attracts me to it. Um, and I also and learn I know a lot that, about myself. Uh, yeah, I, I was just going to get into that as far as, you know, mm -hmm. kind of applying that to um, your medical school training, because uh, I know you've mm -hmm. shared a little bit about that on your Twitter feed as far as, you know, counseling patients um, mm -hmm. with, mm -hmm. wherever they're at. Um, uh, I, I mean, I know you wouldn't – share uh, break any kind of privacy type of things but I, I would imagine when you're a third year student or you're a fourth year student now that you apply some of those um oh. uh, you know the, Absolutely. those counselor skills to Absolutely. uh your your rotation or to you know what, what you're doing now Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, Dr. Anonymous, it's good that you brought that up because oftentimes, um, and I must admit that as a medical student, I do get the advantage of having more time to spend with patients than attending physicians such as yourself do. Uh, but I don't think that's really the issue. I think all doctors can apply counseling skills that don't take really any additional time. But there are times, many times, where when I'm talking with a patient about really anything, whether it's uh, losing weight is a very common one or anxiety is very common and depression are as you know are very common in primary care especially sometimes i feel when i'm sitting there in my white coat i feel just like i did in graduate school sitting in a comfy chair you know just giving therapy to people because that's what it becomes um and many times people go into um go into a primary care doctor's office or really any doctor's office and they might have a complaint and that complaint might be their I call it their calling card or their excuse to um, just talk to somebody about something. Uh, because oftentimes, and you've probably witnessed this endlessly, I know I have in my limited exp exposure, oftentimes we get people who come in for a physical or whatnot, and they literally just break down in tears in the office over something entirely unrelated. And what I see happening oftentimes is the family doctor um, – and this doesn't happen all the time, but often there are many times where the family doctor is not quite sure how to handle that, or um, I see this happen a lot. They try to refer them to a counselor, and that never really works out, whether it's insurance issues or scheduling issues, when they don't realize that they could, in that 15-minute appointment, do some, um, I call it, ref well, it's called reflective listening or some things like that that really, although you're only doing it for 10 or 15 minutes, will give that patient some relief. Um, oftentimes, I think doctors can be a little afraid of, of that happening, but it's really what healthcare is all about because there's no dichotomy between the mind and the body, and we especially emphasize that in osteopathic medicine. But um, that dichotomy just doesn't exist 
so if you're healthy, you have to be healthy in mind and body. Um, and so it really has been instrumental and uh, pivotal and uh, just vital to my, uh, my, my medical school training and also the family doctor I envision myself to become uh, because sometimes I feel that I'm a counselor first and a future doctor second. Um, almost that um, there's, in some days I think there's little difference between what a doctor and a counselor do. Um, may, maybe there is formally, but really you're doing the same thing, just in a different context. Uh, and in every field of medicine, you're counseling people, whether it's they got a bad diagnosis or they are, or they experienced a loss in the family, uh, or there's fields of medicine that I think are mostly counseling. Uh, palliative care medicine is one of those fields that I'm very interested in. Um, many of it happens in uh, uh, geriatrics um, um, and in intensive care is another field. So it's really been a vital skill for me and something I'm uh, just so happy that I pursued. Uh, so it's all worked out. Yeah, our, uh, yeah, Ramona in our chat room, she's a surgeon, and, uh, and you probably see her comment right there, but uh, for people who are listening afterwards, she says that uh, um, you know, it's amazing how much she does as a plastic surgeon and listening to life stories that don't seem to have to do anything with the actual thing uh, brought them to see me. And um, mm -hmm. so that's, that's fascinating. So, uh, and I know I'm probably going to be overgeneralizing, um, but if I have 10 or 15 minutes and, you know, they want to, you know, talk about whatever, that's something totally unrelated to their visit. Um, is it better for me just to kind of listen or to listen and then try to integrate that information to what I know about them and then, give them some kind of action step and say, well, you know, I hear your feelings on this, but I think you should do this, or is it mm -hmm. just okay just to listen, or is it just, or does it really depend on the patient where they're at with things? Yeah, I, I, w <clears throat> I would say a combination of all three, but the most important thing you can do, as you mentioned, is listen. You have to really, uh, even if it takes you a full five minutes, you have to let the patient just get it all out, uh, no matter how unrelated it is. Um, and this is the part where uh, they work with you, especially in, in, in counseling training on this part. But if somebody goes on a five-minute spiel of anxiety or depression or um, horror over a disease diagnosis, um, it's important to – you don't necessarily have to try to summarize it and give advice. Actually, advice is – a feared word in the counseling profession. Um, there are okay. some fields of counseling that do that, but it's it's something that we that's a lot that to at least us as counselors is more is too subjective. We don't give advice. What we do is we ref, what I would suggest doing is listening, and then reflecting back the emotion that they express, and we call it going back to affect. So you might want to say if they're giving you anxious. Um, symptoms and just talking about how anxious they are, um, you may want to say to them something like, wow, it sounds to me like you've been under a great deal of stress lately. And that's all. And you would be fascinated, and studies have been done on this in counseling research, on how quickly you can come to some type of resolution. Now, there, of course, that is different than when you have a 15-minute session as a counselor. But you will find in instituting that technique that you will, um, and of course you probably will have to do a little bit more of this as a doctor in a 15 minute time slot, 
Um, but you could say to the patient, if you want it to be more what's called problem-focused, and this is kind of going away from Carl Rogers, but if you there's a big movement for problem-focused therapy, that's asking the patient how they think they can solve that problem and, and then working with them for it. But you never want to give them any um, – you never want to tell them what you think. I mean, you can in a certain way. It's kind of difficult to portray in five minutes or whatever, but um, you might want to give the patient some options that you think are a good idea, but you always want to make the, the patient have the choice and the decision. Um, you know, what, what Carl Rogers, his whole philosophy is, if you are a person, the patient is going to experience, if you have a high-quality relationship, it's all about the relationship, if you have a high-quality relationship um, with that patient, the patient is going to experience healing. And he gave three conditions. He said all you have to do to have a good relationship is be um, unconditionally show unconditional positive regard, show empathy, and show transparency. And people think that that sounds easy, but it takes years for people to master those skills. And if, if you show that as a doctor, even in just five minutes, that patient's going to experience some type of healing, even if that healing is just knowing that somebody understands them. And even if they don't understand them, knowing that somebody admits they don't understand it completely, but it must be hard. You know, so it's all about the relationship, which is why family medicine is so, um, is so fantastic, because you have that long-term relationship with, a, with somebody from infancy to, to uh, the end of their life, if, if that works out that way. You never have to say goodbye to a patient, which... Yeah, is why that really uh, I think it's one of the best medical fields for that reason. Yeah, this is this is fascinating uh, discussion. Um, I uh, um, like to explore, explore this a little bit more um, and kind of get your take on the approach to um, you mentioned couples counseling, and um, um, I would imagine that's a very different approach, you know, than you know than a one-on-one type of uh, um, you know interaction. Um, how do you how do you approach that type of situation when you know when you're because because when I've been in that situation it, and it's usually kind of in a trap type situation in the room with the door closed <laughs> um, <laughs> and they just and, and they just talk about an issue but it's it's difficult for me to try to balance things and not look like I'm taking one side or the other and, and trying mm-hmm. to to hear both of the sides um, without being really judgmental. Um, do you have any kind of advice on how to how to approach that type of situation? And, oh, absolutely. That's a good point. Um, what also is interesting, I remember this is how I got into couples counseling, actually. One day I was with a client um, who I had been seeing for months, and uh, she always talked about her boyfriend. And then one day she just simply showed up with her boyfriend without even telling me. And so I'm in the room with her boyfriend and her, and I have this established relationship with her and none with the boyfriend. And... So that was it put me in a very unique situation, but all I had to do was go back to the relationship that the relationship characteristics that I just mentioned and um, and I just showed that showed that to the boyfriend as well. <clears throat> what I also find is very important to do in couples counseling is <clears throat> listen to how they're interacting with one another. <clears throat> Initially, it's going to be awkward for both of them. Um, regardless if one of you has, if one of them has a relationship with you, initially it's going to be awkward for both of them. But then after a few moments of you providing that silence or providing that um, reflective listening, eventually they're going to almost forget that you're there. 
and you're going to witness their true interaction. And at that point, it's very important for you to reflect how they interact with each other back to them. Because oftentimes, and this is a very, very <clears throat> deep point, but oftentimes these, this couple, they've been, alo- they've been alone, they talk to each other alone for many years sometimes. They have no idea how they're really um, acting towards one another because they've perceived it as a totally different um, activity. And so it can be very enlightening for you to say, <clears throat> it sounds like you two aren't having a lot of respect for each other's emotions or something just as simple as that. Now, if you have to reflect, and this will happen, this is part of therapy, um, there might be a projection issue uh, that might occur, meaning one of the clients may think you're trying to take sides. And believe it or not, that actually is a very powerful, um, a powerful thing to explore. Uh, with, the pa- with the client, very similarly to the stereotype of a patient who falls in love with their therapist, which does happen. Um, they don't truly fall in love with them, though. They just think that they're falling in love with them, um, simply because they're projecting all their ideal um, uh, characteristics onto that therapist, who's a neutral, supportive third body. Uh, but um, So it's very important to not take sides, but you don't really have to worry about that if you're following those rules that I talked about. Um, because you can really work with that, and that's going to be productive. If they, um, for instance, if they, if you're taking si- if they feel that you're taking sides, you can say, "Well, um, I, it sounds like it's causing you a lot of agony that you feel I'm taking sides. You want to tell me more about that?" And that's always 99% of the time going to go back to their relationship with their significant other. So it's very easy to um, to get a lot of progress done in therapy. Uh, because, and people know this about me who know me personally, I, I'm a bit, I, I do a lot of research on marriage and, and relationships, and I was a bit um, uh, influenced as an undergraduate. I had a lot of professors who were into marriage therapy, and we did, I did a lot of research in marriage when I was an undergraduate, as well as in motivation. Um, and I'm a bit of a pessimist about marriage, but uh, so, it, um, not relationships, but marriage, uh, but the good, the good thing is that I've seen people do so well in marriage counseling. And even if people, and this is a very important point, many times people say, well, I can't bring my husband or my wife. They won't come to therapy. Then come alone. It'll be, it'll be very effective for you to come alone. Uh, so that's also encouraged for people who don't think they can bring their spouse. Um, but, yeah, couples counseling is a great deal of uh, – I find it fun, and it can be invigorating, and it's always uh, great to see how these couples benefit um, from your inter- interaction. Um, and uh, my, I guess my final, my final question on, on this topic, I'll move on, is uh, um, as far as – you know, you've almost you know, completed medical school, and you've been through this process already um, – <laughs> What advice would you give to those, you know, first-year medical students, second-year medical students, as far as um, talking with patients, interviewing with patients, slash counseling patients on how to, you know, some skills or other, you know, other than just doing it and experiencing it, um, you know, with your college background in counseling, how would you help them or instruct them to to help them learn this set of skills that they'll need to do um, listening to patients? Well, I would say primarily they have to remember that patients are people. 
uh, and they also have to remember that they are that they themselves are just a person, and that that's what they have to remember first and foremost. And that's difficult in medicine because medicine is not built around that. Medicine is built with the the physician on a pedestal. Uh, at least it used to be. It's changing now, but um, you know they're wearing a white coat. They have all this um, these other preconceived notions around them, and it's very hard. I see, especially for classmates, and even me when I put on the white coat, sometimes it's hard to remember that we're just dealing with people here. And it's also hard for the patient um, to think of you as a person as well. And that's why I say the first and foremost thing is remember these patients are people. And there's a lot of quick advice you can give people. If the patient tells a joke, it's okay to laugh. If It's okay to, I call it productive small talk which is small talk that is not about the weather, but, um, but small talk that means something to the patient, um, asking them about their pets, asking them about their grandkids, uh, and showing interest in and remembering those things. Um, also, being empathetic towards them um, is something that I learned very quickly in medical school when I was starting doing my rotations and was in the hospital was um, – these, of course, as you know, when you're dealing with hospital patients, as you will mostly do in medical school, you're mostly probably going to deal with hospital patients. It's a lot different than dealing with outpatients. And hospital patients are sick. They're, most times they're not in a good mood. I wouldn't be either. Uh, they get woken up all the time. They get poked with needles at all hours. Um, and it's very important for you because when you're rounding, especially with the first thing you're going to do as a third-year medical student is you're going to go pre-round on patients. And you're probably going to be waking them up at 5 a.m. in the morning. And, it's, and that was one of the first lessons I learned was really apologize to the patient for waking them up. Don't, don't just go in there and scream at them and wake them up, but apologize to them and talk with them for a few minutes about what a, what a pain it is to be in the hospital, if that's what they want to talk about. But, um, and acknowledge their emotions. Don't just, um, don't just push them aside and get to your medical questions. It's very important to do that. Uh, and it, and if you can be yourself, which is why it's so important for people to become a person before they go to medical school, because medical school won't turn you into a person, um, you will be just fine. And this is also interesting that you mentioned this, because all doctors now in the United States, both MDs and DOs, have as part of their Step 2 exam, they have to um, see standardized patients. And... Uh, um, those patients are going to grade you equally on, meaning the, the exam is weighted equally on your humanistic skills, it's called, the humanistic domain, how well the standardized patient liked you, um, if they thought you were warm and compassionate. And I have friends, and I'm, don't, I'm a little uh, embarrassed to say this, but I, I have friends who are brilliant clinicians. They know everything there is to know about academic medicine who failed that exam only for that reason. And usually people who fail that exam 95% of the time, it's because of the humanistic domain, because they go in there and they forget that these patients are people. And when I took my standardized test, even though I, and this was another level because these people not only are patients, but they're also actors. Um, so I also had to kind of try to forget that. But I went in there and made conversation with them like they were real people, not about the weather, but about how much pain they must be in that they have some chest pain right now. I'm, tell them I'm sorry about that, that we're going to do whatever we can to try to make them feel better. Uh, it's important uh, to do that with patients, to acknowledge that. And something in family medicine as well, Dr. Anonymous, is 
and you know this being a family doc, is a lot of times you have patients who have problems that you just don't know the answer to, and neither do all the specialists that they're being referred to. They have these chronic problems that you can't get to the bottom of. And people think that that's failure. And even though that may be medical failure, you can still offer that patient so much by just showing them compassion, showing them presence, and just simply saying to them, you know, this is horrible that we can't get to the bottom of this and that you're experiencing so much pain and you can't get any relief, but I, I can promise you and assure you that I'm going to fight for you every step of the way. And if there's a solution out there, we're going to find it together and I'm going to be your advocate, which I think is the most important word for family doctors today, to be a patient advocate. Um, so uh, really that's the advice I give medical students. Remember that your patients are people, and remember that that's the reason that you are in medical school. So if you're with a patient and you have to go study, remember you wouldn't be able to study unless it was for that patient, and um, those are the people you're caring for, and that's why you're there. And I think, and it's very easy to forget that with all the other stuff we have to worry about as students, um, and, uh, and, I, and I'm a victim of that as well, but it's important to do that. Well, I mean, I I I have a, a handful of stories where where uh, where patients have told me, you know, the 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 most important thing that you have ever told me is, you know, I don't know, and it's mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's okay for doctors to say that. I don't think it's a failure. I think it's you know if 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 doctors or you know whomever you know does the best that they can and still cannot find the answer. Um, you know, we, we're, we're human, you know, we're not perfect. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's okay for doctors to, you know, to sound vulnerable, um, and, uh, and say, I don't know. And, and I wish, you know, that I could say more things like, I'm sorry, you know, but I know, you know, and that's a whole nother topic as far as a medical legal type of thing. Sure. Um, sure. but, um, but I think it's okay for doctors to, to say stuff like that. And, uh, even though we're not in a type of environment uh, to do that. So, so I, I definitely agree with you that, uh, you know, starting to sound, you know, vulnerable and, and listening and, and those type of skills that you're talking about are very important. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all about that patient relationship you have with them because once they f- realize that you're a real person and you don't know the answer and you're giving them that straight answer that you don't know, but that doesn't mean you're abandoning them. It means you're going to be a partner. Um, and also studies have been done, I'm sure you're aware of the research, um, that shows when doctors make a mistake and they have a good relationship with that patient and they say to that patient, I made a mistake and I'm sorry and this is what we're going to do to fix it. If they say those three things and they mean it and they have a good relationship with that patient, the, uh, they, um, the rate of, of lawsuits against that physician drops dramatically. Um, the physicians who have the high, who um, oftentimes are uh, get many of these lawsuits, and of course this isn't this is kind of a generalization, uh, but are um, many times when a physician tries to cover it up or won't admit that it was entirely their fault, or um, the patient thinks that they're lying to them, that's when physicians run into trouble, and that's when the patient suffers. And so it really is the best um, advice for everybody. Uh, that we're all human, and when your patient interprets you as being human, you are going to uh, get the privilege of being their doctor, and more specifically, you're a privilege of being part of their life story. You know, you're the 
you're the doctor that they will remember for the rest of their lives and you'll become part of their life. And that's the best part of family medicine. Uh, you get to be part of all these different lives and not just a simple one visit referral. Um, so it's really a, just an amazing field. And I'm sure you know that, of course, but um, it's great. My um, guest on the line here is uh, Dr. Jonathan uh, from Twitter, and uh, that was a great conversation. Why don't we just take a little bit of a break, and then we'll, we'll lighten things up here a little bit, because I do want to ask you about your theater background and your Jim Brookman uh, fascination and obsession and uh, your your uh, social media type of stuff. So uh, great, everybody great. Just kind of, we'll, just, we'll take a little bit of a break. Everybody catch your breath a little bit. We'll be right back here on the Dr. Anonymous show. Don't go anywhere. to the Dr. Anonymous show live on Blog Talk Radio. Our guest on the line here is uh, Dr. Jonathan on Twitter. Follow him. Good stuff. Um, so let me ask you this. So, uh, so I'm curious about your, your theater background, your music background. Uh, tell me a little bit about that and, and uh, how, you, uh, how you think that has prepared you to be a doctor, Dr. Jonathan. <laughs> um, well, um, yeah, I've been singing. It really it all started... I was a big singer when I was a kid, and I would sing every time I could, and I was in all the choirs and everything, and uh, I did my very first show, um, a community theater show, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, when I was uh, probably about 10, and I was in the uh, child's, uh, or the children's ensemble. For those of you who are familiar with that show, you'll know what I mean, and I just had such a fantastic time doing that, uh, that, um, that I actually did that same show um, the next year, and I was a brother, which is a lead part, and uh, then I really had a really great time, and I was like, wow, theater is amazing. Just the energy on stage and the interaction with all different types of people and uh, entertaining a crowd, um, I just got such a rush out of that and thought it was so, uh, so much fun uh, that I knew I wanted to do more theater, and um, and all, and from there, I just kept on doing show after show after show, uh, whether it was community theater or high school theater. I was privileged to go to a high school with an excellent musical theater program. And um, so I've, I've been in over 30 uh, musical, musical productions, musical theater productions, um, and it's really just about having fun and uh, being on stage and expressing uh, emotion through music and um, meeting some wonderful people. The best friends I ever made were from theater. And uh, really, it drew it all together. My love of performing and my love of singing 
and also my, my love of piano. And I then turned it into kind of a job. When I was in high school, I was an assistant music director at a um, very uh, traditional Catholic church, and I was the head cantor. And I got to cantor masses, and that's what I did throughout high school for money. It's a very well, good-paying job, um, and it's also a great deal of fun. Uh, well, I thought it was fun, at least, because I got to be in charge of the mass, per se, of, on, on altar, and it was, it was a lot of fun for me. And then when I went to undergrad, uh, part of the University of Rochester is um, the Eastman School of Music, which is a fantastic music school, classical music school. Uh, and one of the privileges you get going to the University of Rochester as an undergraduate is even, even if you're not an Eastman student, you can still, still take classes there um, and things of that sort. And throughout this whole time, throughout my whole life, since I was really little, I've been taking piano lessons and uh, and voice lessons and um, all those good things. And so I pursued um, some uh, vocal classes in, in undergrad and also piano and then I got to do a lot of musical theater in undergrad because we have a really great musical theater program at the University of Rochester, which is actually one of the reasons I went there. So I just kept doing more theater, and these were all student-directed uh, musical uh, theater review shows, meaning it would, be a, it would be a show that just had different numbers from all different types of Broadway and off-Broadway shows. And then I really got into off-Broadway music, which oftentimes is much better than Broadway music, but n not as well-known. And... What it really taught me, and what, what I think I really gained from musical theater is, first and foremost, presenting yourself to patients, presenting yourself to people, also having confidence, presenting yourself, because part of any job now is public speaking and communicating, and medicine really uh, demands that from doctors, to, especially now that we're moving into social media, and it's not so much about just um, being a being a doctor to a patient, but also presenting at conferences or, um, as you do and I hope to do, presenting for media, uh, things of that sort. We really um, need, to, need to do that more, and we need to be good at that. And, and theater really prepares you well for that because, believe me, when you've been on stage performing in front of thousands of people, um, it's not that big of a deal to, to perform in front of a handful. Um, so it's it's just been a wonderful experience and something that I unfortunately don't have a lot of time now to, to continue, um, but I do myself. I mean, I have a piano and I play every day and I sing probably too much. I probably bother my neighbors, but it's a hobby that I keep up, <laughs> by, I, that I, that I keep up by myself. Um, but I hope to get right back into it when I um, pursue um, after residency, when I have a little bit more time, um, but it's, it's fun, and I encourage anybody out there, if you've ever even thought about theater, to get involved in a local community theater um, performance. And it's, I guarantee you that you will, have, um, you will have the best time of your life. Even if you don't think you can sing, um, there, I'm sure that there's a community theater out there who would love to have you in the ensemble. Um, or dramatic theater is also great. Something but, curious that that, that uh, I'm uh, I wanted to ask you is that so so this uh, this aura this this persona as a doctor as a physician that you had uh, when you were an undergrad and then when you got to the medical medical school and you got the white coat and now you have kind of lived it, um, it when you put on that when you put on that white coat has that persona changed at all since you've been in medical no. school or is it is kind that, of still that, that that's really interesting that you mentioned that because 
as I said, I've always wanted to be a doctor. It was the only thing I've ever wanted to do. I literally was two years old, and that's what I wanted to do. And I used to actually make people call me Dr. Jonathan when I was three, four years old. Uh, you know, And I don't have any doctors in my family. It's not like I come from a family of doctors. Nobody in my family has anything to do with medicine. It was just kind of out of the blue. And so it became kind of like a nickname. So people all throughout my life, even in high school and college, would always call me, hey, Dr. Jonathan, how's it going? Or... Um, and then, so it kind of became almost like a joke, like uh, seeing doctor in front of my name was kind of like a joke. And then um, well, so when I, well, that's, I think, it, that's how you picked your Twitter name, too. I was yeah, wondering. exactly. <laughs> that's, I mean, that was me at three years old. I haven't changed that much. Uh, but uh, <laughs> and, and so now it's actually interesting you see that I, I, I look at, you know, doctor in front of my name, and I think, wow, in a few short months, that's going to be real. I mean, it's no more... No more fun and games. So, uh, but, no, when I actually first put on that white coat at the white coat ceremony, um, I wouldn't say it changed things because I I, I knew kind of it was, and and I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, uh, but I kind of, it just felt natural because I knew that was what I was supposed to do and what I was, what I wanted to do. Um, And it it felt great. Uh, And, I enjoy, uh, to tell you the truth, I, I use the white coat a lot as a metaphor, but literally I don't like wearing a white coat. Um, I think it separates me from the patient, and I, and I can't wait to, you know, this is funny for medical students because this happens to a lot of medical students. They can't wait to wear the white coat, and then they wear the short white coat, and then they can't wait to wear the long white coat when they're resident, and then they get to wear the long white coat, then they just want to, they just can't wait to not wear the white coat when they're in attending, you know, so um, right. it's, it's, right. it's that cycle. And, uh, but um, I really, but I, I'll put it another way. I really do like being a doctor to my patients. Uh, I, I do like presenting that persona. And I think that the background I have really um, enables me to do that um, um, in, a, in a way that's, that's unique and that's good for them and me. I get as much out of my patient interactions as they do. So that's why it's so fulfilling. Did I answer your question? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, okay. yeah, no, you did. You did. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, so, and, and you talk about, you talk about, uh, you talk about music and theater and things. Um, you know, you, you talk about your obsession with, uh, with Jim Brickman. When, when did that start? What, what's the story? Yes. You know, I, I, I guess I'm a, a victim for a lot of things in my life started when I was very, very young. I haven't picked up a lot of new things, but um, I started piano lessons very young, and I, I've always enjoyed piano a lot. I like all the aspects of it. I like how there's a lot of discipline that goes with it, and I also like that once you get to really, really advanced piano, you just get to break all the rules. And um, so, But I also admire the more classical people who follow all the rules, but I, I love all styles of piano. Um, but um, when I was a kid, I was playing, and I kind of um, developed this type of style. Every pianist develops a style and that I just really enjoyed, uh, a very clean style. And um, if, uh, for those of you who want to hear it, I'll be playing on the next Dr. Jonathan Live show. We'll talk about that later. But uh, I just developed a style, and I really enjoyed, thought it was fun. And then one day I was flipping channels on TV. I was probably like eight or nine. And I saw Jim Brickman. This was back when he was just starting to he, – he wasn't even known by anybody. Uh, he was on a, a, a morning show in New York City, and he was playing a piano um, in, uh, in um, 
in the street, and he had a you know he had a significant crowd because it was a morning show, and he was playing this song, "Picture This." Those of you who don't know it, you can watch it on YouTube. And I was like, my gosh, that is a fantastic song because he was playing in this style that I really uh, identified with. This very clean style and a very melodic style and a style that you really don't hear today. And it's a very hard style to describe to people because people say, well, is it new age? And I'm like, no, it's not new age. It's, and then they say, well, is it adult contemporary? And I'm like, not really. It's, and is it jazz? No, it's, the people don't know how to categorize his music. And, and I listened to it and I was like, that is the style that I want to really develop. That's the style that I fell in love with. And then ever since then, I became fascinated with him and I would go to his concerts and my piano teachers would hate me because I would, what I call Brickmanize all the classics and uh, would play all the songs in his style. And I really, really worked on, he really was my inspiration saying, you know, it's okay to play in that style. Uh, it's okay to take um, creative liberty. Um, and he's also my inspiration because he's classically trained he, at the Cleveland um, Institute. And he's a very good musician and he knows what he's talking about. He's not like all these musicians we have that just kind of have no formal background whatsoever. And so I, I identify with that as well because I like to think of myself as classically trained as well. Um, so that really um, drew me to really enjoy him. And then uh, going to all his concerts and being part of this uh, VIP club, they call it. Uh, I got him. I know. It's great. I got a membership <laughs> card. Yeah, it, it gets me. It gets, yeah, it's really, it's really great. It impresses, it impresses my friends. But uh, so I, I have a membership card, and I'm actually one of the only lifelong members because I've been a member of the club so long that they gave me a lifetime membership. I, they don't even offer that anymore. But anyways, um, basically, um, I got to meet him many times, and I still remember the first time I met him. It was kind of like meeting your, you know, meeting your childhood idol, and I just couldn't contain my excitement. And he kind of was blown away by it. He'll probably laugh about it if he even remembers it. Now, but I actually have a photo of that first time I met him. So, um, and people always say to me, they're like, how come you don't have more photos of yourself? And I'm like, well, the only time I ever take a photo of myself is when I'm posing with Jim Brickman. So I, that's why like my, my Facebook photo is me and Jim Brickman from like 2004. And then my, my Twitter photo until very recently was me and Jim Brickman in 2006. And if you went on Wikipedia until like a year ago and somebody changed it, the photo was of Jim Brickman and my arm was around his shoulder. And it, so, and of course I had to crop myself out, but that was my hand on his shoulder because it was from him posing with me at a, at a concert. And uh, so I've got to meet him a bunch of times and um, he's actually a very real person and a very approachable and nice person unlike a lot of celebrities today. Um, and he's very encouraging to me, and he uh, is uh, just a really wonderful performer. When you go to one of his shows, it's just such entertainment. You have to go there and know what I'm talking about. But he really just is a real true musician, and we don't have that a lot of times nowadays. Um, and he's also into vocals and accompanying um, romantic music, and that's music that I really love. So um, I'm a lifelong fan of his, probably his biggest fan. Uh, but... Uh, um, so that really is a part of who I become as a musician is his music. Um, so if I had to uh, put you on the spot and uh, you know, pick one song that you that you like that's your favorite, mm -hmm. and you can you you can pass on that if you like because that's that's probably unfair to say. But uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I've uh, you know, I, I've listened to a lot of his uh, stuff too, and it's uh, I I know exactly what you're saying. It's hard to describe, but you know yeah. when you hear it when you've heard it for a while, and uh, I know exactly what you're saying. 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I want to bring up this point as well before I even answer that, is when you listen to his recorded music, especially the older recorded music, it was really not as good as it – you have – basically what I'm trying to say is you need to see him live because his recorded music is very good, but it's not as good as it is when he's live and he's on stage and he's alone with the piano. And I always say to him, I say to him, Jim, why don't you record what you play on stage? Uh, because well, I guess what I mean is he plays a little bit more of a direct version when he, rec- when he knows it's being recorded for a CD. And when he's on stage – and this is part of the reason I love to see him perform, he doesn't rehearse, and he doesn't, uh, he basically lets go. And his music is very, very much more improved. So I think people really have to see him live in person. I do have some recordings, and he does have some recordings of live performances, and he does have DVDs out of live performances he's done with PBS. And and I really encourage people to buy those, because then you really get to see how talented he is. But if I were to answer that question, my favorite song it's actually funny you say that because my favorite song to play of his is actually his favorite song to play too, uh, which is Angel Eyes. And if you listen to the Angel Eyes recording, the initial, the original one, it's very nice, but it's not what it is today. And what I mean by that is it's now the song that Jim uses when he clo- as a curtain call, you know, after people have applauded him when he does a final number, and he plays it differently every time, but he plays it depending on how he's feeling or. You just have to hear it to know what I'm talking about. Um, and I often put a link of one of his live performances to Angel Eyes on my Twitter profile because it's one of those songs that has kind of grown with me as well. And I play it differently every time I play it. And it's really a song that is just a beautiful, beautiful medley. But it's also a song that really depicts musical creativity. And it's not incredibly complicated or anything like that. But it's incredibly skillful and very musical. And it's the song that I play if I want if I, it's a song I enjoy playing the most, and a song he admits to enjoy playing the most as well. Uh, so I encourage everybody to try to find a live recording of it and uh, listen to it, and I think you'll agree. Uh-huh. Uh, my guest, uh, my guest on the line here is uh, Dr. Jonathan uh, from uh, Twitter, and uh, uh, obsessed with Jim Berkman. No, I am. I do. Uh, <laughs> good music. Um, so uh, let's kind of shift things uh, again here, and uh, let's talk about social media. And uh, um, uh, tell me about uh, how you um, uh, how you you know first started getting interested in it. How you first. Uh, started getting or you know learned about Twitter and, and, and that type of thing? Oh, well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I've always been interested in media, I think is what began, because I started seeing news anchors and people and, and, and experts on the news, and I was thinking, wow, that's, um, that's a really great combination of theater and also expressing what you love, and that's really something I want to get involved in, in, a, in a, on a larger scale, much like what you do. And I, so I started getting very interested in that. And um, I had heard about Twitter a lot, actually through the media. And I actually remember the instance that made me really perk up about Twitter, which was in uh, a few years ago or last year when the plane crashed the Hudson River in New York City. And CNN was first reporting it. And he said, we just got this photo from Twitter, somebody who was on the plane, and you know, took a photograph of what it's like being um, the, uh, the rescue operation. And we're getting live info from Twitter, and I was like, "Wow, that's powerful!" I was that people can take out their BlackBerry and be able to tweet. 
uh, and reach the entire world. And I, and that's what got me interested in it. And I, I had heard about it before, but it was that instance that really made me think that's a powerful, that's a powerful tool. And then I, I started, uh, I just basically one day I just went on Twitter and started an account thinking it would be like something minor and I wouldn't really pay attention to it. And Really, as you know, and everybody out there who knows who's on Twitter, it's addictive, and it is more than addictive. It's powerful, and you get to meet people from around the globe who you never would meet before and make connections that are just fantastic. Like, I wouldn't be on the show if it wasn't for Twitter. And, um, and, I w- and then what I also found fascinating was how many medical people there are on Twitter who have the same interests that I do, which has been very powerful for me as well, to interact with all those people. And I get to interact with people interested in medicine who I can help, and those who are further along on the path that can help me and uh, tweet about everything in between, everything from, you know, Jim Brickman music to what I'm eating at Panera Bread to uh, the Dr. Jonathan Live show. So it's really a powerful tool to communicate. And also I was um, on your show a few weeks ago to talk about the Lee um, instance when we, um, when we helped to uh, coordinate a Twitter rescue. Uh, and that all happened thanks to Twitter. So it's really a powerful, powerful tool that's a little little bit um, more fine-tuned than Facebook or MySpace. Um, Twitter, I think, has more of a professional edge, and there's a lot more professionals on there and people who are are using it a little bit more professionally. But I also use it personally, and most people do too. So I think that's great, the the melding of those two personas into one um, format. So it's really been a lot of fun, and I really thank Twitter for that. Um, and in case uh, you know people didn't hear about that, I think it's a fascinating story to share uh, again, and uh, that's on uh, show number 175. People want to get that into, into detail, but we'll just kind of give people kind of a thumbnail sketch. Um, you know, a friend that you have on Twitter, Lee Fazina, who is, was in uh, Connecticut at the time, she was participating in a triathlon event, um, and she was on her bike in the woods, fell down. Um, she had her cell phone with her. She was not able to make a voice connection, but she did have text capability. So she was thinking about who to text, um, whether it be a friend or family member. And then she said, oh, well, there'd be more people on Twitter. So she tweeted out on Twitter that she was hurt. And uh, uh, Dr. Jonathan was part of a number of people around the world, actually, who heard Mm -hmm. that and contacted the local authorities and, uh, uh, you know, saved her life. Um, I don't know if you've gotten any further feedback, um, you know, in the past few weeks, um, but I've been reading some news stories. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who, um, you know, very pretty negative about the situation, saying, oh, it was fake, it was set up, and, you know, and, you know, kind of defending the event and saying that there were people around there, um, you know, already, and uh, she wasn't there by herself. I don't know if you've heard some some of the feedbacks and uh, yeah, since I've that heard incident. all of that. Yeah, and I and I can just state for the record that uh, certainly um, this was not staged in any way, and it was very much real. And um, all the, and uh, yes, there has been that negativity, but fortunately, there has been overwhelmingly positive response, and everybody's glad she's doing okay. She's doing. She's almost made a complete recovery. Uh, And this story has been picked up by multiple news outlets from around the globe. You can find many uh, stories on on your favorite search engine about it. Uh, Yes, it was absolutely real. It wasn't staged in any way. And uh, she was very much rescued thanks to all the good folks on Twitter who were part of that, uh, contacting the local law enforcement to get her um, the help that she needed. And 
um, that's also speaks to how great Twitter is uh, because we all are friends on a, it's very much like being a real friend. Uh, some of the people I've met on Twitter who I've really formed uh, personal relationships with. Um, and it's really quite a powerful tool. Um, I think I've only met maybe two people uh, who I follow on Twitter, but, um, I hope to meet more at some tweet ups like with you, Dr. Yeah. Anonymous. You <laughs> That's meet right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Panera Bread's uh, on me. At, at, at Panera Bread. Yeah, we should, we should touch on that as well. And then we'll, yeah. we'll talk about the Dr. Johnson live show. So what's your, what's your obsession with the Panera? Let, let us know. Oh, <laughs> that actually started in graduate school um, when I was in Rochester. And Rochester has five or six Panera Breads, and they kept building more of them. Uh, because when I lived in Rochester, actually, they had one Panera Bread, and then they started expanding, and they built five or six while, while I was there. And basically, I started going to Panera Bread because uh, I went to grad school, and we had some of our classes in the afternoon and evening. So I had most of the early morning and uh, early afternoon um, to do my reading or to do my other studying. And I would, uh, and I really enjoyed the atmosphere of Panera Bread. And so I started going there a lot. And then I, since I'm, I was single and I lived alone, um, I started realizing I, I love their food so much I don't really have to grocery shop. I can just eat here all the time. And I actually started doing that for a very long time um, and, uh, because I could eat very healthy uh, eating there because I would order, I would make all kinds of altercations to their orders, to their salads and everything to make them healthy and low carb and all that good stuff. Although some people think that's difficult to do with Panera Bread. It is, but it's possible. Um, so, and then I just started eating there every day and I started becoming friends with um, some of the people at Panera Bread. And then I started being invited to, <laughs> and this is, this is one of my, one of the joys of my life, but um, I was invited to these open, when they open up a new Panera Bread, they have an, a grand opening that you get, you get invited to. So they invite people like the local politicians and, and, and the mayor and, and you and me. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> so so I, went, I, I got invited to these, and it was like Panera Bread heaven. You go into this event with a ticket, and like, there are people at the door with champagne, and you go in there, and everything's free. First of all, and you just go there. I, I mean, and and I was in heaven, and I would, I, I mean, I would look forward to these events all week. And so I would go to Panera Bread and go in, and they'd be like, "What would you like, sir?" And they would give me whatever I wanted, and then, and I would stay there for as long as I could, just enjoying and like talking to people and shaking hands and kissing babies and all of all of that stuff. But then I would. Um, well, then everything was free, so you could literally go up and say, like, I want, you know, 25 loaves of bread, and they just give it to you. So, so that's what I did, and I, like, stuck, I, I, had, I had bread in my freezer for years, you know, and because I went to, like, six of those, and it was amazing. And now I haven't been to one of those in four years because I live in an area that we have Panera Bread, but we don't have any new Panera Breads. And uh, so Panera Bread is a wonderful um, uh, place, and so I, I really fell in love with them after the – especially after those VIP events where I started feeling like a VIP. And then, um, and now really I, uh, I don't have as much time as I used to have to spend there because I'm at the hospital a lot. And, but I still do like to go there as often as I can and get, get takeout or whatever. I really just like the atmosphere, the free Wi-Fi, the people, people at Panera Bread are usually pretty good cashiers and 
people so working for, uh, for people who uh, uh, don't have a Panera Bread, and I know that's kind oh, of that's a, too bad. Uh, I feel sorry for them. That's a crime. Yeah. So how would yeah. you uh, how would you just you describe uh, what your favorite thing there uh, to get would be okay. with all of oh. the all of the uh, you know like like yeah, how would you describe what what you would order with all of your little nuances uh, uh, when you go to Panera Bread? I get asked for that all the time, and that's a very hard question for me to answer because it changes. But I have noticed about myself that I pretty much have three stable items that I get in some variation. Um, and I actually haven't tried probably 80% of the menu. When people, I mean, I know everything on the menu, and I know what it looks like, and I know how bad or good it is for you, but I, I haven't even tried a lot of it because a lot of it is very um, not incredibly good for you. It might be whole, whole and real and, not, and, and natural, but what I like to get, what I usually get, is I get the classic cafe salad, but I have them add a lot of things to it. People don't know this about Panera Bread, but you can have them add things and tell them things uh, to do to it. And the cashiers always know that I – they always sometimes ask me how I know that or, or whatnot. And it's because – it's a lot of reasons. But I had a good friend who was a manager at Panera Bread who I dated for a while who actually let me read all the Panera Bread manager manuals. So I, uh, I know all the inside information. Um, about like what you can get on the salad. So I, I get I get classic cafe salads and I put other vegetables on there, and uh, then I get a whole grain baguette with it. Uh, so that's one of my stable orders. And then I don't use their dressing. I use my own balsamic vinegar. Um, and the other stable order is I like their soup. I like their uh, chicken tortilla soup and also their uh, vegetable soup, which you get, which now comes with pesto. But you can actually order it without the pesto if you're trying to cut down on your carbohydrates. Those are my stable things that I get. And sometimes I get the strawberry poppy seed chicken salad, which is in season right now. It's only in season, though. And I suggest people who are going to Panera for, for the first time to get the strawberry poppy seed chicken salad if they're because um, it's only available during the summer and it's uh, delicious. So, yes. And so you course, bring your own uh, you bring your own dressing to the Panera um, I, I have been known to do that. But, yes, uh, but I oftentimes get takeout. I oftentimes go into Panera Bread. People find this odd. And I just sit there for like three hours doing whatever it is I have to do, studying or Wi-Fi stuff. And then I order and then I take it home with me because I have all the stuff that I need at home. And I really don't eat there a lot. I actually get takeout um, a lot. So, But when I do it, like if I'm going there for a meeting or something, I have been known to bring my own ingredients. <laughs> but, yes, I, I have. Uh, I will admit. But, uh, yes. So I'm probably their uh, one of their uh, favorite cu customers, um, but yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So let's move into this uh, Dr. Jonathan live show. So uh, tell me about the the origins of that, and, and for people who don't know anything about it, uh, I know it's going to be hard to describe, but uh, yeah, um, <laughs> you're going to be bringing the show back, and uh, I think next week. So, so tell us a little bit about next it. Next week, hopefully. And we are very excited. Basically, the doctor. Basically, I wanted to get out there and do something more than just a blog. A blog is great, but I like to talk more than I like to write. Although I do enjoy writing, and I always have so much to say. And also, I'm I'm too lighthearted, and I don't have a lot of things that are serious to say. Despite what I might have said earlier, I'm actually uh, not that serious of a person. So um, I just wanted an avenue to get that out there and have some fun and interact with the audience a little bit. And I uh, was able to through it. I don't even know how it is, but I started following Potato Chip 
uh, my very good friend Scarlett, um, who is an Apple employee and who knows a lot about computers and a lot about Apple. And I just actually got a new MacBook Pro switching from a PC a few months ago. And I started asking her about it. She started giving me advice. And I said, wow, this Mac is really fun. You know, and, and um, Macs are also a little bit better at video stuff. And I asked her about her opinion on setting up things. And then we got talking. And then basically the show arose from um, me thinking, wow, this would be really great. Because uh, I saw Ustream as an avenue. It's a free avenue out there for videos. And I thought, that's really powerful. And then one day uh, when I was uh, trying to get that set up and I was playing with it and I was asking Scarlett for some input on it, uh, I just said, hey, we should just do a live broadcast right now. And she said, okay. And then we uh, live broadcast the first Dr. Jonathan live show. And it went on for like probably six hours, um, that I, six hours that I really needed to be studying during. And uh, it just – we had so much fun. We had such an audience, and we were just interacting and – and and I start, and it was so much fun. And then the next show, and then we decided to do it again, and we did it the next week. And I started um, singing and playing the piano during it, and doing crazy things like running on my treadmill while I was hosting the show. Um, <laughs> just just anything that you know, anything that I thought of. And we have some really fun stuff in the works uh, for the show. We're going to be doing a live show from Panera Bread, actually, and interviewing a Panera Bread employee. And we're going to be doing live shots. Um, uh, we're, we're in the process of getting some additional equipment so I can do live streaming because it's hard to do with a webcam. It's easier to do with a video camera that has uh, um, has a firewire, which is harder to get. But so um, we have a lot in store, and it's really a show about. It, it, we do talk about medicine, we talk about medical topics, but it's it's probably a very small percentage of that, and a lot more percentage just having fun and talking about things. And I would like to say again that the audience, Dr. Donovan was a guest on my show and, and he had a lot of fun with us and he knows how much fun we have at, at two o'clock in the morning or whenever the show goes until, because our show does not, our show does not have an ending time, which is why it's so great. We just, we just basically broadcast for eight. And we're, we're talking about doing a Dr. Jonathan marathon. It just goes on for days and we're just in exercise on the show and I'm, it's just pure fun. So, and we really love our audience, and we get a great audience. And um, we have guests that we interview, and we actually do a three-stream live video, uh, which is a little bit new. And a lot of people I don't think have ever seen that done before, especially from a Mac. Um, doing it because there's some programs for PCs that you can use that'll do that in a sort of way. But we actually broadcast three live video streams, so we can interview two people at once, which is is amazing. And uh, we are actually doing – we're in the process of building a website for the show, um, which uh, Scarlett is helping me out with. And we're, we got some great guests lined up that we're going to interview, and we have some great entertainment lined up as well. I'm in the process of writing the theme song for the show, um, which hopefully Scarlett's going to sing. Uh, I'm going to write the piano for it, and then she's going to sing, and then we're going to do some harmony uh, if that works out. Um, now that I have a lot more time on my hands. Uh, and uh, it's really just a wonderful show. Uh, we're hoping to bring it back next week. Um, we're looking at Thursday right now, but uh, stay tuned to the Dr. Jonathan stream on Twitter, and I will be posting uh, uh, live about uh, when we're going to be doing the show. But we want to make sure it doesn't interfere with Dr. Anonymous' show, so we might be tweaking that time a little bit. Um, so it might be on Wednesday or it might even be on a Sunday. We don't know yet. But stay tuned. It's uh, – Always a good time, the Dr. Jonathan Live Show. And I have a fantastic co-host, uh, Potato Chip, so everybody follow her, too. Because, uh, oh, no, yeah, would, it was, uh, yeah. 
it, it was fun just kind of listening into the first uh, the first couple of those and uh, one of the first broadcasts. Yeah. Yeah, you were like, it took us like eight hours to get this uh, stream going, and now uh, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be turning off this thing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that's funny you said that because every time we do the show, if I say it like start eight o'clock, it always starts at like nine because it takes us an entire hour to like try to set it up because we have it's like such a you know it's like a poor man's version. It's like it's like the equivalent to having a bunch of duct tape. Um, taping up three TVs together is basically what we're doing. That's the, that's the technological equi- equivalent of what we're doing to get it to work um, in the way that we have the three live video streams and then working with the audio and everything. But we're we're also working on getting some equipment to try to streamline that a little bit and make it look a little bit more professional. Um, and uh, so that's why I'm working on the theme song. And uh, also I'm really upset because what happened to the theme song in America, on American television? It just kind of left. You know, there's no more theme songs anymore. And we want no, uh, one gone. minute. Yeah, it's gone like the you know, like the Brady Bunch or even old school ER had a good theme song and then they just dropped it for the later seasons and um you know and the Sopranos had a good song but that was about it so now we're, we're yeah so but now we're bringing it back like the, Dr. Anonymous you have some good music on your show so um you know what I mean but we're also going to ho- try to highlight uh, Scarlett's uh, vocal ability so she'll be doing a lot of uh, singing really? for us too we're we're going to be doing some uh, live um this is also groundbreaking I think. We're going to be doing live streamed um, uh, performances in completely different states. So I'll be playing piano in one state, and Scarlett's in a completely different state, but we're going to be streaming it together live, and we're going to see how that works out too. Uh, and so uh, I have no idea, but it'll, but it's bound to be fun, and everybody who comes to the show will see it either succeed or fail in real time because we don't hold anything back on the Dr. Jonathan live show. It's all, uh, it's all real. <laughs> one, of the, uh, one of the hilarious things is that uh, yeah, you're, you're pretty popular, and uh, the, 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 you get the, you get the young ladies that come into the to the Dr. Donch live show, and, and one of the one of the uh, entertaining things for me is that uh, you know all the young ladies that come to your show, you always tell them have a story of how uh, how they dated you and how they dumped you, and that's that's always that always adds to the show. I think it's very funny. They're all very true stories, so you're making me feel bad. But yes, uh, I have, I, have uh, I, I tend to make up stories on the spot uh, about about whatever. So it's really an outlet. The show is an outlet for me to just talk about. It's really a creative outlet for me because a lot of times I have to suppress my creativity in my daily medical uh, practice. So it's uh, it's a creative outlet for me and. Um, I, I love having guests to interact with them and a live audience to interact with on the spot. Um, so it makes it that much more entertaining. And the show wouldn't be there without my guests who come and all the audience who I'm so appreciative of. All, all my Twitter followers are all amazing, and I wish I could follow Friday, each one of them, every week, but then that would probably crash Twitter. But uh, so, but I wish there was a way <laughs> um, to do that. Uh, but but I, I know exactly what you mean, but because yeah, like, like a show like this kind of, kind of touches my inner theater self, but I don't have the talent uh, that you do, but it's kind of like... <laughs> Being, being you, you have a lot of talent, and... Dr. Anonymous. I, I don't, don't, <laughs> uh, I've seen you perform on my show. It's a, you, you can play that iPad piano. You play that yeah, iPad piano. Go. Very, very well. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, but I think you're right. I mean, I think anybody anybody working in medicine, no matter what it is, I mean, yeah, they, they, they're, they're, there is kind of an entertainment type of aspect. I think that helps make things fun, makes things yes. fun for, for me, makes things fun for people, makes things fun for the patient. And uh, uh-huh. um, I, I think I think a lot of people should, you know, should, should at least try some of the social media stuff out. And I think it will I think it will help them with their patient care personally. 
Oh, absolutely, it does. It helps them get into touch with everything else that's happening out there in patient care, helps them get into touch with patients, maybe not their own patients, that's a whole debate, but at least see what patients are saying about medicine in general. It really helps them to get that extra, um, extra spin on medicine. And so, yeah, it's great. And all the doctors I know on Twitter have really gotten a lot out of it. Some people are a little bit apprehensive to get into it, but once they get into it, they uh, really do get a lot out of it. So I encourage everybody to get involved in some aspect of uh, social media. There are, of course, some negatives to it, but the positives def- definitely outweigh them, I think. Um, but there's a lot of debate about that often. Uh, my guest on the line here is Dr. Uh, Jonathan. You can follow him at uh, twitter.com slash drjonathan. And uh, we only have a few remaining moments because – because I guess this show does have a time limit, I guess. I don't know. But I guess my last couple of questions here for you. So, I mean, obviously you're going to be pursuing a family medicine residency. Do you know the location yet, or do you want to stay close to where you are now? Do you want to go across the country? Have you figured that out yet? Uh, yeah, I'm actually, that's an interesting question, because I actually have to make that decision in the next few days, because our uh, ERAS uh, applications are due very soon or at least we can start submitting them really soon. For everybody who doesn't know, that's the beginning of the process of applying towards residency. Um, but I've pretty much narrowed it down to I want to be in uh, New York City, um, hopefully in Manhattan or near Manhattan. There's actually not a lot of family medicine residencies in Manhattan. There's only two. But there are many in the surrounding areas uh, and also even across the um, Hudson and Hoboken uh, and in other Jersey areas. So I, I think I've narrowed it down to there, but I also will be applying to some hospitals in Chicago because I really love Chicago as well. But um, that definitely is not where I'm from. I'm from upstate New York uh, originally, and it really doesn't make that much of a difference to me to be close to home. I just really love New York City. I think it's the um, epicenter of the world and uh, the place that I want to uh, um, practice in. I think it's important to do a residency somewhere that you really want to stay in and really invest yourself in the community, although that's not required. But so um, I'm hoping to be down there. So I'll be down there quite a lot in the next few months when I'm interviewing. So if anybody wants to uh, meet up for do a, do a tweet up for some dinner, if it's on you, I will be happy to attend. Or if it has to be on me, I will be happy to attend too. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, or if it's good, Dr. Anonymous, uh, we'll make him pay because because uh, he likes to do that. Right. But uh, our good friend, uh, uh, our good friend MD uh, Student Thirty One, he's also a fourth year medical student. He's asking. Uh, if you're looking at any combined family medicine psychiatry uh, program. Oh, yes, uh, that, that, that is an interesting question. And there are some of those programs, and there's a lot of combined programs. There's also family medicine, emergency medicine combined programs, which I also was looking at. Um, and um, I haven't completely dismissed those, I th- uh, but I think it is important to emphasize that um, I'm interested in the practice of family medicine. And so I, I think that doing a combined residency makes you very marketable uh, if you exactly sure exactly what field you want to be in. But family medicine also has a lot of options, and a lot of people don't know this, but family doctors can specialize. They can do fellowships in all types of things, whether it's urgent care or geriatrics or palliative care. Um, so there are a lot of opportunities out there, and I really don't want to – I'm not as interested in practicing the traditional psychiatric model of medicine. I'm very interested more in the counseling that family doctors do. That's kind of what I want it to become. So, and also, um, um, it, the residencies are a little bit more um, uh, abundant that are just in family medicine. It's a little bit harder to find those that are combined. 
But they absolutely are great options for people, specifically if somebody, for instance, wants to do an emergency medicine family medicine residency, and they're not exactly sure which one they want to do. It does make you very marketable uh, and um, uh, to pursue any job you want. Um, although in America, actually, most emergency rooms are staffed by family doctors. But, of course, trauma facilities and trauma centers, you do have to be an emergency room physician. But you still do have many family docs picking up shifts at emergency rooms. So it's not something you can delve into. But family medicine really is where my heart is. And so that's what I'll be staying with um, for residency and right. beyond. Cool. Cool. So we only have a couple minutes here left, uh, but I, I do want to thank you for coming on the show. And, and everybody follow Dr. Jonathan on Twitter because that will be the only way that you'll see the uh, Dr. Jonathan live show until the official uh, website Yeah, until the official and, announcement uh, of, of the date and all the guests we're going to have and the great B celebrities we're going to have on the show. Um, <laughs> now, to find out who that is, you have to you have to follow me and watch my stream. But uh, – yeah, so the show has got some great things in store, and we're hoping to have Dr. Anonymous on again as a guest uh, at some point, and also all the wonderful people we've met um, along the way. So it's going to be it's going to be an exciting year for for both of us, I hope. Right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, we're we're bringing back here, and uh, you know, I you know, I, I I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you know the, at the beginning of the show. I mean, the 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 more serious conversation that we had. I appreciate that conversation, but uh, oh sure. Uh, in general, in general, your shows and this show, you know, is a little bit on the lighter side. So uh, I'm glad that yes. we can be flexible about that, and then I can I can come to the curvy couch in case people would know that is. And that's right. We're doing a morning that. show. Dr. A, me, and, and Scarlett, it's going to be on the curvy couch. It's going to be great. Red couch. Fox News, right. watch out. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you, Dr. Johnson. So thank you for coming Thank you, on, Dr. Anonymous. I appreciate it. Thank you to all the guests as well. Okay, it's been a pleasure. Okay, bye now. Great. We'll see you. All right, kids, so I have uh, less than a minute here. And just to let people know, yes, I will be doing a, a post show over at dranonymous.tv. And uh, we'll be uh, making uh, more fun of me over there. So if people want to uh, uh, head over there in a little bit, I'll be uh, I'll be broadcasting over there in a little bit over on my UStream page, and um, then we will uh, uh, then we'll continue the conversation uh, over there. So uh, so thanks a lot for Dr. Jonathan for uh, for uh, coming on the show here tonight. Thank you for listening. And uh, you can also follow me on dranonymous.com and find out all the information that you can need about me. So thanks a lot, everybody. Only a few seconds left here on the show. Have a good rest of the week. Have a good weekend. Good night, everybody.